on me in a pool thought it was funny uh-huh not funny we had a guy in uh a meeting i had on tuesday um well you know a guy i'm assuming but really nobody knows just as i'm sitting in this uh, this uh <coughs> conference room by myself mm-hmm and then all of a sudden, four or five different people come in. And then 30 seconds later, one of the worst smelling farts I've ever smelled in my life. And everyone was just sitting there mm-hmm. acting like nothing was happening. Just, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this absolutely hideous stench yeah. was filling the room. Yep. Um, with stuff like that, too, because like, cause you said within 30 seconds of people walking in the room, right? Yeah. I mean, couldn't they have just stayed outside the room for for the 30 seconds they needed? Released it right before they walked in and then come into the room. Yeah. Well, not right before. Release it. Walk around a little bit. (laughs) Sure. Then then get in that room. Um, Yeah, that's that's society, bro. I guess we're we're all just uh, pretending we don't smell it. But we're all sitting in it. Living in each other's farts. Living in each other's farts. Um, there's one picture I didn't bring up last time when I was showing you my, um, uh, my pictures from the roadways, Hampton Roads. Mm-hmm. Somebody had their license plate on upside down. And... To me, I was like, that's something that you, when you're putting on a license plate, you don't not notice that. Yeah. So was it something where like maybe they started and they got one screw in and then they were like, oh, I'm not doing this again. Right. Um, maybe they're using like a quarter or something to screw it in. Right. They're using their fingernail and it's yeah, already exactly. like half off. Right. And they're like, screw it. I'm. I'm just ro- rolling with this. Yeah. Um, I couldn't see the front, but yeah, the back was upside down. Yeah, I respect somebody like that. Well, I did something like that when I bought this car that I drive now. Mm-hmm. They gave me temporary tags, of course, which are like paper, right? Which are temporary. Yeah. Right. Except the ones they gave me, they were like. They maybe like photo paper. They they, they were, were like, like the flash a, paper that right. uh, magicians use. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> they were like a little bit higher quality paper. Except they, the dealership, put the put it onto the license plate on the outside of the car and like screwed it in like a normal license plate. This paper temporary tag. Right. Let's screw that paper in there. Right. Nice. And I was just like, whatever, man. I'm not dealing with it. Right. Yeah. I know that that's going to supposed to be in the back of my windshield. Right. And after 30 seconds of driving down the road at 40 <laughs> miles an hour, this is going to rip right off. I was just like, whatever. And then a week later, of course, I get 
pulled over because I have zero tags on my car. <laughs> and the police officer just like, you know, do, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, uh, probably because my tags are missing. I got temporary tags and the dealership put them on the outside and I just haven't got my real tags yet. And he was like, okay. And went back to his car and he's like, all right, you're free to go. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, you know, what I like, like you could have just ripped it off of it. Right. Yeah. So the inconvenience of getting pulled over was greater than the inconvenience of ripping it off and putting it on the Well, inside. I mean, I think my original thought process was like, this is obviously going to rip off. This They'll is never what, catch this me. This is what my brain is thinking. This is obviously going to rip off of my car. But maybe the dealership knows something about these temporary tags that I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I'm not going to deal with it. They're yeah, the professionals. I'm not even, exactly. I, they, that's exactly right. It's their job. It is not my job to put this thing in the back of my mm. car. So I'm just going to leave it be. I am not going to go through the small step of just ripping it off and putting it in the back. I'll take my chances. Mm-hmm. That's a hard that's way to. The same reason why I drove around without an inspection for like a year and a half. Right. And then eventually they got, I got pulled over. Yeah. 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 You can't rely on anybody. There, there, there are no such thing as uh, professionals in this world. Sure. Just people sitting in their own farts, pretending not to smell anything. So I went and saw it again. And... I texted you, um, got some sad news. Uh, Paddington 2 has been dethroned in 2018 and is no longer my best movie of the year. That space is now taken by First Reformed, which I really liked the first time and then think it's near perfect Mm -hmm. uh, the second time. Yeah. Well, your quick first thoughts. You've seen it once. I saw it once. We saw it together. Um, You're very tired. I was very tired. Uh, I loved it. I liked it a lot. Um, I got no issues with it. So I kind of, I mean, with, with this film, um, yeah, I kind of want to talk about the ending. Okay. And then maybe work backwards. Okay. Um, so. Well, because this movie obviously means a lot more to you than it does to me and in different ways. Right. I think we may have liked it on the same level. I thought it, I really thought it was great. And it's, it's definitely a movie that has like, you know. It sticks with it's you. It's been a week since we've seen it and I'm still thinking about it like on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. No, th- there have been times. It's actually cut through the noise. Mm. Uh, and I've actually found myself like... Of the child concentration camps? Yes. <laughs> well, well it, I, I found myself just like... I mean, because we were talking about this. You know, you, you've sold your Xbox. And, you know, I kind of talked to you about what, what you're doing now with your time and everything. And something you said that you're trying to do is just get back to, like, appreciating some silence a little mm-hmm. bit now and then. Like... To not always have something going in your ear. And I, I largely agree with that. Although 
it hasn't gotten to the point where like I feel like I I feel like I know what the silence has to offer me and I might as well just fill it with the drone of you know people talking mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but this movie has caused me to literally be like I don't want to listen to anything. I don't want to watch anything. I just want to sit here and think about the film. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's what the silence, quote unquote, is. It's it's mindfulness is what it is. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's mindfulness. I just I feel like I can for me. I'm only speaking for me. Sure. I feel like I can get the same benefit having something going in my ear as when I am in uh, meditation, so to speak. Okay. But I, be, because I think largely, so I mean, I think that that's largely the function of a film like first performed for me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that the films and the books that I try to read or listen to try to maybe implement some of that quote unquote mindfulness, right? Um, and so with this film, I kind of, so let me pull up my notes. I, so I kind of wrote, uh, the first time seeing this, it made me realize how disposable a lot of other films are. Yeah. And not as like a knock against those other films. I think a lot of them serve a purpose as just being like fun. But it made me wish that more films made me consider that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of wish that films like First Reformed were, if not the majority, were a lot easier to access on a monthly basis even. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the reality is, be, before First Reformed, in terms of a film hitting me on that level, it does go back to like <clears throat> Tree of Life or No Country for Old Men. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Of a film that kind of blends... uh an interesting engaging plot and something of a deeper resonance for me personally. Um, the other thing, so, you know, this film kind of follows a pastor, um, as he counsels, uh, a guy about, um, his despair when looking at climate change and it follows this pastor as he kind of, um, wrestles with despair himself and it's written by the guy who wrote taxi driver written and directed and it definitely has some of that dna in there it's not just like a ingmar bergman film or something Mm. where it's just a quiet look at one character that begins and ends you know without progressing much of a plot this this actually moves it has some um, tense scenes in it, right? And it made me think that I hear some people talking about this film even before we saw it, and they were characterizing it as like slow cinema. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem to fit for this movie for me. Does, it, d- does that kind of um, label work for you when you think about a movie like First Reformed as kind of like slow or deliberate? um films well i think the director himself called it slow right 
Right. To right. me, it's a perfect descriptor. It makes absolute sense to me. Well, I think you're looking at slow as bad or boring. No. Well. Whereas I think it just is. I mean, it's a complete like nothing. Like there's nothing extraordinary happening in this movie up until an hour and 15 minutes in, right? You're just sort of getting a character study Mm -hmm. and you're following this guy around. And it is very, I mean, it's the definition of deliberate. The camera's not moving. It's showing you exactly what it wants you to see, right? I mean, but I don't consider that a bad thing. I don't consider the bit being called slow a bad thing. I I think that when I hear Schrader talk about it, the writer-director, I I see him as as putting it in context of what he calls transcendental film style. And I think what he's trying to say is films that allow you to enter in a particular state of mind, that they're, they're, they're going to push you to change just... I want to be entertained and flip a mode to be something else. I want to be engaged, you know, in, in a different way than just, you know, I don't know. Keep, keep the uh, bright colors coming, buddy. I'm just here in this seat trying to stay awake, you sure. know? Um, but I, and I kind of wrote it in the notes as like, you know, as somebody who fell asleep during Meek's cutoff, I wanted your, your take on that kind of deliberate or slow. I don't necessarily mean it as a pejorative because I like Meek's cutoff. I saw that. And that is a movie too, that a lot of people, not just you, you know, said was just like way too deliberate, just not a lot is happening. And was boring and boring. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that, that's what I mean. I'm not saying as a pejorative, but I'm saying as somebody, you know, like, like you who, you know, Meek's cutoff didn't work but this did, and you would consider both of them as kind of slow cinema, right? Well, I mean, look, like you said, I fell asleep during Meek's cutoff. I don't consider it anything. I don't even consider it. it wa- I don't even... consider it watched. <laughs> the movie does not exist in, your in world, my memory because I fell exist. asleep. Oh man, yeah. You know, I like now. I like thinking about this. Is like your world is only populated by the things that you've actually like given attention to. Well, I mean, it's how like, can it not be? Literally Meek's cutoff does not exist <laughs> as a movie that at one point, well, I can't tell you anything about the movie. I fell asleep. So, so I guess let me put it this way then. What about I didn't, like wake up and rewatch it? I right. was like, wow, this movie's so boring that I fell asleep during a time of my life where I wasn't falling asleep a lot. Right. What about this film? clicked with you was there was there a scene was there a moment well yeah i mean i think that might be the thing too is we're, we're talking about again, Meek's never i have no idea what meek's cut off is about but if i'm remembering correctly it's about women in like the frontier yeah and listen i'm going to allow other people to connect the dots i'm only going to say meek's cutoff is primarily involving Women. Well, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Justin, Maybe I don't relate to that. Like I do a guy living by himself who's I, who feels isolated from the world. So that obviously resonates with me more than women living in the frontier. 
Um, you just ate my. Sorry, I'm not as woke as you, but no, I, no, no, it just you, uh, didn't connect with me, so I went yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I I was trying to. Uh, you ate my old, my, 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 my joke. I was trying to imply that you're a misogynist and you just basically were like, no, Keith, I'm not a misogynist. I'm a lonely man. <laughs> I am lonely and isolated. I am not a misogynist. I was like, okay, you, uh, you yeah, win. So, you know, maybe that's what drew me in more than anything. Right. But, and there's also a familiarity, right? Like, again. I have no, I have zero connections to the frontier and to what a, a woman's you life in Arizona. is like. Yeah, but. Heading out west. I hadn't at the time. That was before I moved to Arizona. I think. When did Meek's Cutoff come out? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, but I have been involved in the church. And I know exactly what that's like. Or at least I know what my experience of that is like. And so that's another, you know, there's a lot of connections there for me with this movie. Yeah, I And saw- it's, it's speaking to some of that connection, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perspective on that that I can relate to, that I've had myself, that I've seen, right? It's not just a, you know, like one of those big blockbuster church movies that are just like total garbage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's, um, this might be true of only my experience. I went and saw this with a friend of mine who's, you know, involved in a, in a church, but I feel like, because I kind of mentioned to him, I was like, this character and what you just said, right? You've, you've been involved in various levels of like a church before, Mm -hmm. right? This character feels very identifiable, right? To somebody who has experienced some church, life mm-hmm. but characters like ethan hawks and first reformed are also not like easily identifiable because i feel like what happens is people burn out in ministry they flame out or whatever and then they are like immediately whisked away somewhere mm-hmm. to either like obscurity like they are just like any presence of them is like washed from the website the church their sermons are taken down and God knows where they're, they're probably selling cars somewhere in, yeah. uh, in, in another state or they've gone off and started another church somewhere else, but they've, but they've left. Right. And that to me is something where this is an identifiable character, even as somebody who is maybe even more involved for longer, that that character is super identifiable yet is not, you can't just point them out in the church because everybody's putting on the face of like, everything's great, going good until everything blows up. Like that to me is how like all, a lot, not all, but a lot of the ministries that I've been involved in have happened. Just people perpetuating the role until like they crumble. They have an existential crisis, right? Mm. They have some kind of horrible, like moral failing. And then it all like blows up, implodes, the church closes, they leave or whatever else. Right. Um, And so it's like, I feel like characters like this are identified like too late. You know, Um, I read an interview where the uh, Alyssa Wilkerson, I think did, I sent it to you, did did a really Mm -hmm. good um, interview. But, 
you know, she's she's kind of talking about like the you know programmatic or like performative church versus like the contemplative. Mm-hmm. And you know, Paul Schrader's kind of talking about yeah, he's like you know, I definitely have a preference for one or the other. Um, but I think that it, it does perpetuate a certain um, type of of performance, even from like the pastors and no i i don't want to i was gonna almost gonna say like no real person like no curious person or no like honest person with themselves like ethan hawk for all of the problems of his character is honest or he's seeking to be honest and with that approach to a ministry nowadays like it ain't gonna work you know mm-hmm. you're either gonna be in isolation and fall into despair and uh and pay for the inability to do the role mm-hmm. you know or you're going to conform but eventually you're going to implode anyway because you because you can't if you're curious or honest you can't keep that up well I, that that was part of the interview too where they talk about how uh jeffrey's is more of a CEO yeah. of the church than he is a pastor. Exactly. It's less about belief and honesty and even serving his congregation. And it's more about keeping the business running like a business, not like a church. And he's not a bad guy. Right. You know, he's not the villain. Right. And that, yeah, that's not done in like a malicious way. Yeah. He is just naturally moved in and quietly said yes to maybe not even the overt stated demands on his job, mm-hmm. but to get to his position. And there's a point in the, in the film where he kind of, you know, breaks a little bit and he's like, do you know what it takes to run an organization like this? You know? Yeah. And you realize like that's, that's the small compromises that he's made to be in this position. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that he would necessarily even agree that he has like compromised himself. Right. Yet he has. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I found that to be like, you know, uh, a, a, another point of connection with this film. Um, but I think, I think for me, going back to the slow cinema discussion, um, I think what I push against is I'm fine with films being slow. I'm fine with films being deliberate, but I want to know what the filmmaker is doing in the scenes that I'm watching. And there are certain films where like I'm watching five minutes of somebody like boil potatoes and my idea is oh this is to show me what it's like in this place for a person to provide for themselves Mm -hmm. they can't just throw something in a microwave or whatever but by minute three and a half i'm just kind of going a little crazy i'm kind of like see but i think the difference is not that First Reformed is like 
made that much better than any other movie. I mean, it's obviously made very well, but I feel like the difference might be that, again, that level of familiarity with the subject matter. Like, because Mm -hmm. of my background, I can watch a movie that maybe is as equally slow as Meek's Cutoff, and yet I am picking up on all those little things because there are... They are little things that I've observed myself yes. in my everyday life. Whereas I don't know all of the little things. I don't know all of the little deliberate choices in Meek's cutoff that... A frontier life. A frontier life, right? Yeah, but... And so that stuff is just not connecting with me. Yeah, but I think... I, 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 I agree with that, but I think I'm going one step further. And I think that a deliberately well-made film like First Reformed can cross the aisle to somebody who does not have that church background because, because I'll I'll say this, I am, this is me declaring my ignorance as a film viewer. Mm -hmm. Like I am a dumb film viewer in the sense that I like to be given clues into what the filmmaker is doing. I want them to signpost some stuff. I like that. Mm-hmm. Other people will will a lot of times argue against a character like stating the the point of a film. And some films that don't trust their audience will at some point have a have a a character say like it's like you're Satan or something right. and I'm having to play God over here. And that way people can know like, "Oh, okay, I got it. I got it, right?" Um, this film doesn't do that, but in terms of the slow cinema style and the films I'm thinking about in comparison is like, have you heard of Bellatar? No. Bellatar makes like three, four hour films that will have just like a 15 minute long scene of a camera in, in a room and watch people just eating Mm -hmm. soup, you know? And it's a it's a lot to to sit through, you know, and I just feel at some point I want to be like, listen, Bell, I'm a I'm an idiot here. Give me something, edit this, give me a give me a dumb American version, or have your character state what it is. Is this just about poverty? Is this just about this time period? Is you know what am I missing? Right. Um, but in first reformed. There's a scene, the very opening, right? You have this slow push on the church, and you have the church film from different angles. And then you have a zoom in on the door, and you have the door flutter a little, a little bit, and then the scene cuts. And to me, like that is a signpost for me on this film that shows, like, hey, I'm going to do this meditative push in on this church. And we're going to look at the church from different angles. And then I'm going to go to the door. But I'm actually going to do something in the frame. I'm going to give your eye something to focus on. And what it focuses on is going to somehow speak to what I'm talking about in this film. So that flutter of the door brings up the question like, is that the breeze or is that a presence? Right? Is the door, what is the door responding to? And to me, that is kind of thematically something that hangs over the entire film. And I think that each scene of the film has that intentionality where 
I either know why he filmed it to reveal something about the character or to reveal something about the, again, the, the overarching kind of ideas um, or questions of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Like the second time through, you're, I'm, I'm picking up connections. I'm not losing more connections. I feel like on some slow cinema, I would watch the Bellatar film again and I might actually lose some connections. I might be like, you know what? I thought this was about this, but I don't know. They're eating soup and I didn't, I thought I saw something and I didn't mm-hmm. or whatever else. Right. I, I, I really feel like Schrader is way more intentional in this film. And that's something that connects me more, which makes me a little hesitant to use that kind of like quote unquote slow cinema in terms I mean, of like, look, I guess I don't know what slow cinema means. I, I'm just going by what it sounds like to me. I mean, yeah. it, it just sounds like you're, you're talking about a difference between like intentionality and just like ambiguity, right? But I don't necessarily consider that slow or fast or mm-hmm. whatever. I just like, like the first reformed is slow to come to a conclusion. It's, so, it's sort of, it's slow to uh, reveal things to you. Is what I would say. That's why, to me, it seems like a slow movie, not in a bad way. Yeah, I get. I guess I'm, you're getting stuff. There is yeah. definitely intentionality throughout every single scene, right? But it is slowly building up to one thing. Yeah, I just, I guess, I'm, I'm thinking out loud on something that I'm wrestling with. That there, that that kind of, I guess, is a is an annoyance for me. And I think it is that term. I think I'm, I I am probably just rambling at this point, Mm -hmm. but there are certain films that I, I will read reviews on or hear people talk about and they'll be like, Oh, this is slow. Or, you know, this film drags. And I watch and I'm like, nothing about this film drags or nothing about this film is slow. Like deliver or, or like, and they're not even necessarily saying in a bad way. Maybe they're just trying to like, inform viewers hey viewers go in but be aware this is not your action-packed whatever and i go and watch it and it's just it moves just fine for me mm-hmm. like it it's a normal movie like first reformed just feels like a normal film it doesn't feel any more distinctive in terms of qualifiers than going out and watching any other drama you know in fact this film has more action in it then some action movies that are just senseless in what they're showing you, this is actually intentional. But there's violence there. People die. You know, there's tension. Um, I, I, I was never left pondering during the film, even though the film did make me, again, welcomed me into a new way of thinking about the film. Mm-hmm. I guess that's all I'm trying to say. Okay. Okay. So I guess I want to jump to the ending. Okay. So we, we've talked about the ending a bit before, and I had a whole theory on the film that upon the second time viewing, I've completely abandoned. <laughs> uh, completely wrong. Not interested in talking about it. Uh-huh. Um, but that, that uh, interview on Vox, I think is yeah. the Alyssa Wilkerson thing. Um, <clears throat> Paul Schrader literally lays out the ending. And the only ambiguous question for me is uh, if uh, Reverend Toller 
Ethan Hawke's character is alive or dead. Where do you fall? Uh, so I think the answer is deliberately either or. For me, it's a more uh, interesting and sort of compelling ending if he's dead. Yeah. But based on that interview, and I listened to an interview and read some other stuff, he very deliberately made it so it could be interpreted either way. Right. He, at one point, had her footsteps. Right. Coming up, and he took those out, so now right, she just because it made people think that it was more real. So he took the footsteps out to make it seem more ambiguous. Yeah. Um. Right. I, I think I, I try to avoid bringing outside sources in too much to to interpreting a film. But in another interview, he said he showed the script to a friend, and. In the original script, he drinks the yeah. Drano, mm-hmm. falls out of frame, and you see a crucifix, mm-hmm. and then it cuts. Yeah. So knowing that his original intention is that he dies, and then he rewrites it to be ambiguous makes me feel like the intention is still there. And taking out her footsteps and everything, it just lines up better with the themes of the film. Also, this is a minor thing, because I think that had she really shown up, he, he probably would have reacted the same way. But there's no recognition that he is covered in barbed wire right. <laughs> as they're embracing yeah, and kissing. Sure. You know? Um, and, and I think that, that that barbed wire was really in there. He, he would have reacted somehow. Yeah, some pretty thick, gnarly <laughs> barbed wire. Right, rusty barbed yeah. wire. And he's moving pretty free running to her. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so th- those are my thoughts. But what I found interesting is the intention of the ending stays the same either way. I think either way he's redeemed. That's the point. Um, in the end, if he dies, this is kind of him being ushered into heaven. That heaven is a rapturous, ecstatic place. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that some people might get wrong in their ideas of simplifying an idea of God or an idea of heaven where you're on clouds or God has a beard or whatever else, right? That if there is a heaven, that it would be a sensory experience to be there. It would be ecstatic, right? Sure. And so he is, he is redeemed either that way or she shows up in real life, cut short his suicide attempt, and in response to the miracle of her being there, which again is an act of God's providence, right? Um, They have the same response, an ecstatic response Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And uh, I think that again, that's an interesting way. A lot of times I think the more standard people that you'd see on a Sunday would view miracles as being like very like, logical reactions right but i mean if if jesus did what he did if he raised somebody from the dead i think people would be freaking out mm-hmm. you know what i mean i think that there would be some kind of ecstatic reaction to that it wouldn't just be like everybody nodding at each other like of course he did that you know right so um so i i think that that, that either way it speaks to to the character's redemption 
which gets me thinking about, you know, what, what the character was able to be redeemed from because he has intention to kill. He has intention to uh, suicide bomb himself <laughs> in a church, right? Literally right before that. Mm-hmm. Um, he is despairing, right? Um, and in the end, he does commit suicide. And I think that a lot of people who believe in a God would come down very harshly on many of those things. Let's just take suicide for one, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually built into a lot of theology of different denominations and religions. You commit suicide, you are committing a mortal sin, right? And I think that this film actually takes the idea of God and if he is loving and forgiving, it takes it more seriously than a lot of people who might have harsher views of suicide, right? Um, Because I think that it says those things are not enough to remove him from the ability to be redeemed. And a lot of people love to say on, on Sunday, come as you are, right? There's no sin too great that Jesus can't forgive. And we're all sinners here, mm-hmm. right? How, how often do you hear or did you hear that yeah. when you were in church? Right. And yet, if you had tattoos, if you listened to you know, the wrong music, mm-hmm. if you in any way stood out from the experience that they are trying to get you to have and fall in line with, if you identify yourself as an other in many categories, like you are treated as an outsider. You're, you're treated as not a believer, right? You're treated as uh, somebody who is and has committed a mortal sin of, you know, rejecting the experience that we're trying to provide for you mm-hmm. and put and equating that experience to faith. So anyway, I feel like the ending hit me in that way of like a lot of times people believe, try to interpret what God's intention is in terms of forgiveness, right? Which is the very thing that he's supposed to be about. And yet the first thing that we want to do is quantify it and qualify it so we can understand it, but also so that we can wield it so we can weaponize it so we can have some power with it as we, you know, level it against other people. Right. You can use it to say, well, you're not really this. You're not this. Uh, this is why you need to fix that. Right. Right. This is why you need to be more like me or Tim or whatever else. And so anyway, I, I found that to be really moving to me. And again, kind of like breaking out this idea of a morality based understanding or approach to God that he is a God who cares solely in what you do and how you do it. And I understand better than other people how you should or should not be acting. And so if you want to experience that, that redemption, come to me. <clears throat> because think about finding Toller's body the next day. 
There's a suicide vest somewhere in that <laughs> in that house. He's wrapped in barbed wire. Right. Um, there's the journal yeah. where he is just kind of said, you know, how hard it is to pray and ripped all these things out of it and rip pages out of it. I mean, how many people are then going to celebrate that man's life and hold him up as a, as a true person of the faith, you know? I don't yeah. think many are. Right. But the film says he he was redeemed. Right. No, he would be depicted as the exact opposite, as yeah. someone who had completely lost his way. And that and that uh, to me is again it's it's a minor thing maybe, but I think for for people who would believe especially in an evangelical, you know, kind of group. Mhm. I think it's a profound thing or anybody who would, you know, claim themselves as like a believer with a moral code. Like, okay, let's, let's articulate where you're drawing those morals from right. and how far they're extending. Yeah. Um, all right. Any thoughts about the ending from you? Not really. I mean, the, for me, I liked it more. I mean, I like the uh, 50-50 nature of it more just from like a construction standpoint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although I will say, uh, I'll agree with you when, if I think if you take it as a whole, it definitely does lean more heavily towards him having committed suicide mm -hmm. and that being like his last moments, especially when you add in the score at the end. <laughs> Yeah. Which only plays when something really bad happens yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I still liked the construction of it. And I like, um, you know, so, so like I was saying, I think the, the faith elements don't resonate as much with me as the um, sort of guy who is feeling uh who who's sort of like watching a com a community from inside out kind of mm -hmm. right like he's obviously in the community everyone knows who he is he's seems to be well respected but at the same time he like just doesn't feels like he doesn't relate to anybody and the one person he does start to relate to is a guy who maybe has lost his mind and ultimately kills himself <laughs> Yeah. Um and then so and just following that all the way towards the end uh it just is interesting for me to explore that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't have any sort of uh I guess it just is I don't know. I, I I, it's not something I want to, I guess it's not something I want to say out loud. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean, um, so I'll just leave it at that, but there are things about like the suicidal nature, stuff like that, that I relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the stuff that, the stuff that resonated with me was that, and oddly enough, it's kind of the way that, and this is, I think this is the thing that I like the most about this, the, the movie and that caught me off guard the most was that this movie is being made by Paul Schrader, 
who's in his like what 70s or yeah, 80s 70s yeah and yet he seems to be really tuned in on um not just climate change but like how it can affect someone's way of thinking and yeah. like how it is almost like there's like a virality to it you know what i mean that can like take over just everything and the uh the the way that he's able to articulate these small what i at least thought were like seemingly like small sort of um eccentricities of like modern church culture and like the youth group scene yeah and like the way he does it without like uh characterizing like cartoonishly characterizing people you know what i mean it just is like like from the first frame you get of the youth pastor you're just like wow he (laughs) really he really nailed this 2018 youth pastor you know what i mean and yet the youth pastor seems like a totally normal you know what i mean he's not a character he's not like way over the top you know what i mean so those were the things that kind of pulled me in the most, I think, and that caught me off guard is that it's not like I don't think there's really any aspect of it that felt like it was tone deaf or off the mark, um, even though it's tackling these very, I feel like, sensitive and kind of hard to uh, explore topics in like a nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I what I find so amazing is the economy of his language and his scenes as well that the film is also structured in a way that he's writing a journal and so you can in the middle of a conversation flip into his journal monologue or internal monologue, mm-hmm. you know? And it's a way that he can also I think shorthand some of these conversations. So in the opening one with the uh, guy who's struggling with bringing a child into a world that is, you know, going to be impacted by climate change in some way, like it's going to be bad in some way. Yeah. Even if it's not fully how they predict, we're, we're going to be affected by it. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where he starts launching into some of his thoughts and it cuts to Reverend Toller, and he's like, he went on like this for a while. And he just summarizes, boom, this is, these are the, the, the main points that he says here. And then he's able to cut right to the back and forth after all that stuff is said. And it's Schrader knowing exactly what needs to be included, what he can kind of navigate around. And how much of a conversation or a character you need to get what you need to know about them. Mm-hmm. And I was always surprised at his ability to give us exactly what we need. The youth group scene is, again, another one. I mean, we get one outburst from, uh, from one of the kids, and then we cut. That's it. That's yeah. all. I, I, did, I got the youth pastor. I know what that youth group is like. I know what that kid is about. And his, yeah, his understanding of... The story he's telling and how to tell it was amazing. And the journal entries, too. Uh, I, I was saying to uh, my friend, I was like, I, I want to buy that journal. 
if they release like a special <laughs> edition with Toller's journal, I'm buying it. Yeah, you could have a um, Toller devotional. The Toller devotional, man. <laughs> I buy that. I mean, I wanted to take notes the second time. Basically, my notes are going to be whenever he's writing what he's saying. He just has a way of just saying yeah. exactly what he needs to. Right. So, yeah, that's another thing that keeps that, that film going. And, again, doesn't fall into, um, you know, kind of uh, self-pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> As you're writing, you know, your, your screed against climate change, right? You can kind of get a little navel-gazy and lost in yourself. Schrader is always on point with what he's trying to say with his film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, also, also like, you know, there are little things like when a, when a film connects with you on the level of filmmaking, that's one thing where you just, you love the shot compositions, you love the acting, all that's going great. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's a deeper, deeper level of resonance where if it's saying something and you pick up on it, and that resonates with you. You know, in the end, it did make me think like bulk industries. He wants to, you know, kill the CEO of bulk industries. That's his mm-hmm. main target. Mm-hmm. You, get, you, you get the sense of. And there is a piece of me that's like, I want to see him die too. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end, you know, uh, my, my, my friend pointed out too. It's not just what God is willing to save, what God's willing to redeem at the end, but it's also who. I mean, with that, um, with Mary interrupting him, all the people in the church are saved, including Balk, you know? Mm-hmm. And we are not the ones who get to determine the punishment of the people that we despise, or even the people who are perpetuating the, you know, attack on the climate. Um, and this film sets up as like bulk industries is like number five of like polluting industries. I mean, he is really responsible for a lot of this stuff, but I think again, it kind of says like redemption judgment. If you, it's, it's the same thing of no country for old men. And the reason why I love that film, like you cannot hope for justice on earth. That's impossible to hope for. There's not enough punishment to be meted out to everybody who needs it Mm -hmm. right but it will come it will come that's that's one thing that keeps me as somebody who is like always entertaining the idea of a religious reality is the idea that there has to be accountability for this life that we're living it's impossible for me to think of us as that much of a of an anomaly Mm -hmm of a of a trick of gases and mm-hmm. explosions you know sure and even as i can affirm all the scientific evidence of how we came to this world of evolution and all of that i still can't yet you know move into a realm of yeah and you can't hope for justice here and you can't hope for justice anywhere at no point will the ledgers be kind of leveled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this film says that too. And 
again, something that resonated to me, like, why, who, who am I, you know, who am I to sit there and be like, yeah, bull bulk up in the middle of that fricking church. Yeah. Um, so I had some questions. Sure. Um, we answered all of them. Okay. Except for one. Can I convince you to drink whiskey with Pepto-Bismol? <laughs> no. And will you do it on the podcast? No, absolutely not. Especially not after this past weekend when I was drinking some bourbon. Oh, is that why you're farting oh. today? No. No. But I mean, that's just as miserable. I, I honestly have gotten to the point in my life where I don't understand how anybody... Or why anybody drinks any form of alcohol whatsoever. Because it makes you feel so bad for so long <laughs> as soon as you're done drinking it. Right? So how'd you feel? I just was, felt gross and hung over the next day and my stomach was upset. Mm. But it was like, why did I, why did I do this to myself? Because <laughs> you look cool doing it. Yeah. It's like smoking. Yeah. People make it look good. Yeah, I, I, I'm sensitive to alcohol. I can't really drink a lot of it. Um, but there, there are certain, like, watching even Toller drink. I'm like, man, I could, I could use a bourbon right now. But it's all disgusting to me. Yeah. Do you, but do you like bourbon? It's fine. It tastes like medicine to me. I can't shake that. Mm. Um. I had some things about the movie I wanted to say. Okay. Some very, uh, so these are more superficial, superficial observations. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely want to talk about the superficial aspects of this film because I think it is a well-made, paced, shot film. Yeah. So, oh, except for the, did I set you up? No. Okay. One more thing I wanted to say before I move into the superficial uh-huh. is that along with the with appreciating how sort of uh tuned into this stuff that Paul Schrader was i think another thing that i i for some reason i'm just drawn to the stories about the guy who sees something wrong maybe with society but with whatever and sort of withdraws into himself to try and fix it mm. right and it ultimately leads to destruction right right? destruction of himself right those stories are very interesting to me Mm -hmm. and the um one that i was thinking of um the one that popped into my mind most prominently besides taxi driver obviously uh was the power and the glory yeah which I haven't read in a really long time, mm-hmm. but there, and there's very obvious corollaries, right? It's about a preacher who's kind of drinking himself to death. It's funny you bring that up. Did, did I, did you read that on your own or did I? No, you push- told me to read it. Yeah. And yeah. I actually saw this uh, film with a friend named Chris and I did the same thing with that book for him too. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's those, those stories that I'm just really, um, will all just always grab my interest. Right. Yeah. So, well, I, I also want to say that uh, another aspect of it is his isolation, right? He's, he's isolated as he goes through these 
um, as he's wrestling with these issues, part of that is, is him, but part of that is how he's received by other people. Yeah. You know, this idea that as you question and wrestle and struggle, a lot of people just don't have the bandwidth for it. You know, they're just going to be like, listen, friend. Right. Yeah. I, I, I hear you, but I got a kid at home and a job I hate. <laughs> so the uh, world, yeah, it can be terrible, but I, I don't have time for this. Or they're just not going to get it. Yeah. Like bulk. They're just going to see as a challenge of their authority or their way of life. Yeah. And they're just going to lash out defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something about that isolation that, that is also tough. The, the only other thing that I want to say before we move on to uh, superficial is the, the idea that I think, I think Schrader has also structured this film to work on a few different levels. And one of them, too, is like an examination of prayer. Like, I feel like you could... From the beginning, anytime that he references prayer or communication, really have at the end a really thoughtful, engaging idea of what prayer is, what it looks like, what it does, what what it's trying to do. Um, and again, <clears throat> not that I've like worked out the three bullet points of what Trader says about prayer in First Reformed, mm-hmm. other than to say I think it's I think it's there. Um, same thing with the idea of grace mm-hmm. there, there, you could approach it conceptually and I think have a lot to take away from at the end too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So the superficial complaints or observations and this first one, I talked to you a little bit about before you saw it a mm-hmm. second time. So I want to know if it stuck out to you the second time or if I just, I don't know. But the first scene where uh where he walks into the church and the choir and the choir leader is practicing with her choir. Mm-hmm. The whole scene itself as it plays out, their dialogue is very canned. It's very it almost felt to me like it was a rough draft. Mm-hmm. like they were filming the movie and somehow they got to the scene <laughs> and he was like, Oh yeah, I wrote this just as like a filler and I never went back to write the actual dialogue. Mm. So you get stuff like, ah, yes, they're so young. They've got so much of their lives ahead of them. And it's just as like five or six different lines of dialogue that are that yeah. cheesy yeah. and kind of not kind of, but are like completely different from the rest, the way the mm-hmm. rest of the movie feels and sounds. And I wasn't sure if that was just like supposed to be. I think that you could say that it doesn't work. The intention, though, I think is of people who have a deeper connection. And Esther's intention is to, you know, be with this guy. And his is to not be with Esther. But see, my reading of it. If I was being generous, my reading of it would have been that it's demonstrating a a level of comf- of comfortability between the two uh without any type of connection. Right. See, I would say it's it's speaking to the uncomfortability of these two without any sense I of mean, connection. I mean, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's the same thing more. Or yeah, less. yeah, exa- yeah. So, I mean, I think that's why 
the stilted dialogue, her trying to make some kind They're of observation. They're just going through the motions. And connect. Yeah, she's, she's kind of flailing. He is kind of giving her a little, you know, a little time, a little attention. And it's just, it's just awkward and doesn't feel right. And again, if, if it didn't work for you, I think that's, I think that's valid. I think that that's the intention. And I kind of took it more as that, that mm-hmm. these are, these are two ships passing in the night and they're very awkward mm-hmm. around each other. Um, the second one is the digital effects in the movie are really bad. There's granted there's not a lot of them mm-hmm. but whenever they try and put digital lettering on something it looks really bad like on the side of the church there's one scene where there's like giant sentences written or displayed on the side of a church but it's supposed to be like a i don't know <laughs> it's supposed to be like installed on the church or whatever and there's another one i can't remember exactly but it's kind of the same thing it looks bad and then there's also they also digitally add in and it's even like a I feel like it's like an insert right it's not like a naturally occurring thing is it when they show the bulk building um yeah it's like right before he's doing the tour oh that's right that's mm-hmm. right but that looks really bad too but yeah, you know it's I, a low budget film so it's yeah kind of I was looking for it this time like really mm-hmm. looking and it honestly it didn't stand out to me the first time. Didn't really stand out the second time. I kind of saw what you were talking about mm-hmm. on that bulk. I, the one thing that I did notice is they tried to make it like reflective. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. I was like, is that one thing he was responding to too? Like they tried to make it like mirrored, mm-hmm. so it was kind of reflecting off, and it maybe made mm-hmm. it look a little cheaper. Yeah, maybe. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, you have a point there. It didn't bother me. Okay. The last thing I have. And I know this is going to be a thing because everybody loves Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, (laughs) And he's not bad, Uh but he's not great. He's not as great as everyone's acting. And he is basically, what everyone is basically responding to is this guy who's not doing the thing that he's been doing for the past 20 years. And then they're like, oh, hey, look, he's not this caricature that he's made himself out to be that he's made his base his entire career on and he's doing something where he's being like a normal person but he's not great at it yeah i mean (laughs) whereas everyone else in the movie is great acting wise everyone's great he's good i don't know i i don't know if i'm you know i'm gonna chalk it up to the fact that i I truly identify with this film a lot and I'm maybe more sympathetic to it. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll give you that. Although he didn't stand out to me. I, if I squint, I guess I could kind of see what you're saying. Sure. But, yeah. But, that, yeah, but that's what I'm he's saying. Fine. He's totally fine. Yeah. Whereas everything else I've read or listened to like, wow, Cedric, the entertainer is great. Yeah. There's almost a stiffness that I, right. That, that that I feel like fits with the character. I mean, I, I'll definitely say like he doesn't just slide into that role. Mm-hmm. He's not, he doesn't strike you as somebody who's just like owning this right. scene. Right. Um, but, but it's, it's fine. I kind of took that as, you know, 
who he is as a person. And did his uh, hairline strike you in any kind of way? It did. Because it's really far back on his far head. <laughs> it's far back. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Nothing you can do. Those are the only notes I had. Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> well, you can, like, give him a wig or something or, like, shave your head, I guess. <laughs> you could digitally put in uh, another oh. hairline. Yeah. Add add another digital effect. So a few other things I want to touch on really quick. Some video games. Did you watch E3 at all? No, I watched... um I watched the Smash Brothers thing. I've mm. watched like a couple videos here and there, but I didn't watch any of the press conferences or anything or any okay. like demos or walkthroughs or anything. So, yeah, I I kind of told you like I turn into like a <laughs> I turn into a bandwagon gamer whenever E3 comes around. Yeah. Just uh watch the um the conferences and stuff. And uh I also, so I have an Xbox One, and it just, it was making me uncomfortable. It was getting really hot. It was running really loud. And it was just giving me a feeling like one of these days I'm going to turn it on, and it's just not going to turn on. Yeah. So I decided to sell it. And so I sold it, a bunch of games, and got enough where I was going to get uh, just re- replace it with an Xbox one S. But the more I looked into it, the more I realized like um, the the X would be something that I would want as Elise and I try to like our TV, same thing. Our TV is not a good TV. Mm-hmm. We've had it for a very long time. And um and even when we bought it, we bought like the two year old version of you know, the guy as well. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm wanting to upgrade to 4k within the next year. And so I was like, well, you know, I sold this for a really good amount, way more than I thought I was going to get for it mm-hmm. way more than I'd planned. So I was like, well, maybe I can get the one X. So I got the one X and I've been playing on that and it's great. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I think I told you like the biggest thing for me is how quickly it loads, and I realized like how mobile games have become like a go-to when I'm just sitting around or something. Yeah, largely because they load quick. There's almost no mobile game that I would recommend to anybody, or that I would maybe even say that I enjoy. It's just something that I can be doing in 20 seconds. And so I'm sitting here in this waiting room for a few minutes. I might as well do it. Yeah. Same thing with the Xbox uh, X. So I'm finding that I can load games more quickly and play them quicker. And uh, I don't like what that says about me. Um, But that's the truth. Well, I mean, I don't know. There's definitely a... Well, let me say this. 
first of all. The loading thing, I told you how to fix the loading thing when we were playing PUBG. Mm-hmm. You just have to get an external solid state drive. That's what Chris did. And use that. And that mm-hmm. makes everything load just as fast as it does on a One X. Like I had an Xbox One when we were playing PUBG together. And I've had I've used an external SSD for since the first year Destiny came out. And I never once had any of the loading issues that you and Chris were having with PUBG. Yeah. So that's all that, that is. But I will say that the the um resuming games from like sleep is definitely a thing mm-hmm. because I spent so much time playing Destiny, which is always connected. So as soon as you stop playing, you have to reload everything again. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I would play something like, like I remember taking some time to play whatever the latest Batman game was, and you could turn the machine off. I could come back the next day and turn it on, and it'd be right there right where there. I stopped playing. Yeah. And yeah, there's definitely something to it. Where I was like, man, I don't know why we ever put up with <laughs> even two minutes of the game machine turning on the game loading up sitting through all those dumb credit scenes and production company scenes and then load and da, 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 da. so there's definitely something to that well i heard some people give microsoft flack because in their conference they were they, they mentioned that they're developing like ai to help games launch faster yeah and i was like that might be the best announcement of the whole conference. Like that gets me excited. Turn the 10 seconds to five. Right. You know, <clears throat> I'm all for it. Um, but the one thing that had me curious is the fact that, so the Xbox one X was released last year and it is quote, the most powerful console on the market. Right. Um, the PS4 Pro, well, the PS4 can run VR, right? Or is it only the Pro? Who knows? Listen, I don't know. You don't want to talk to me about VR, okay? I don't want to talk to you about VR. VR but, sucks. But this is what I do want, want to mention. It seemed to me that the X was released at a time when PlayStation announced they're doing VR. And the X comes out and there's no mention of VR. And then this last E3, no mention of VR. So my question is, do you think they've, they switched on the fly to be like, VR sucks like you think it does? And they're like, until we can cut the wires, until we can cut all the extra like peripherals that we'll need, let's not launch it. Or do you think it was never in their plan? Do you think it was just their plan to to release a super advanced console that literally would do nothing but play games faster and at higher resolution? Yeah, I don't think VR was ever the thing for the One X. But what what I think the One X is more than anything is they've got this guy, Phil Spencer, I think, who's the head of Xbox. Yeah. And he's like the games guy or whatever. I think that's literally what it is. I think he's more of a games guy than he is like a business guy. And because he's the head of Xbox, he's like, hey, why don't we make this like super console that maybe is not the most practical thing in the world, but I'm the head now and I want you to do it. 
you know what I mean? This, because yeah. I'm not as worried about the business side of stuff. Well, he mentioned that they're working on the next generation. Right. And that's going to be like two years. Yeah. So I love the X. Uh, I'm very happy with it. Um, but I, I do wonder if like in two years, it's literally just doing the same thing. Or if they will do something that will utilize the power of the console. Um, I don't know. Well, it seems like they're going in a more module or maybe a more like PC route where it's like. There's no way. I mean, the X just came out last year, maybe. Mm -hmm. There's no way it's going to be obsolete in two more years. So I feel like the next console, whatever that is, is going to be the X the next console is going to make the X better one. You know what I'm saying? It'll be like the next console is going to be the X Mm -hmm. is going to be the X quote unquote. And the X now is going to become the one basically. You know know what I'm saying? Like to, to what the X is to the one now, that's what the next console is going to be to the X. Right. It's like, you'll still be able to play. You'll be able to play all these new games on the new console. But those new games will also still work on the X, but they'll no longer work on the one or the S. See, I don't know about that because I feel like the one thing that Xbox has been doing that other companies haven't is they're, they've been focusing on backwards compatibility and making sure that their games can be played backwards. They, did you hear about the Fortnite controversy? Yeah, but that's emulation more or less. Yeah, I, I yeah, it, it, it's emulation. But I think don't you think it speaks to an intentionality of the company to not have things be obsolete? You know, like to me, I don't know that they that they operate in the realm of obsolescence. Like we are the company that will make your system completely useless in two years or four years. I mean, at some point, though, they have to, it has to get, I feel like it has to get dropped. Like, at some point, there is going to be a cutoff time to where these games no longer work. Like, this is no longer an Xbox One game. This is, we're not talking about backwards compatibility. We're talking about Destiny 3 only works on the One X and up. Because of the technology that it accesses? Or... Yeah, like Destiny 1 may be backwards compatible with whatever the next console is. Right, right. I guess I'm just why would it be, what would make it only run on one console? Just because you think it's utilizing like tech that... Yeah, more more power or whatever. I mean, the same difference why between a 316 and an Xbox One. Or is that, was that the... The one before? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I so. But... Just to go back to VR real quick, VR is the same thing as 3D televisions. Like <laughs> it's just like a cool tech demo, whatever. But it's like I don't want to put shit on my face to watch a movie. I already have to wear glasses just to see the real world. Don't make me put another pair of glasses on to watch a dumb movie, right? Like when that works. Without glasses. When I can sit down on my, t- on my couch and turn my TV on and it just works, 
that's when 3D will be popular. That's when VR. Also, have you seen people play VR games? They look. I'm not, I'm not talking about how they look. I'm talking about how oh. they move in the world. It is the most uncoordinated, stupid looking thing you've ever seen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah. their arms are flailing everywhere. Yeah, right. It doesn't look like they're actually ever aiming at anything. Yeah. And it's also like, think about playing a game like Destiny in VR. Like, think about how much running and jumping and flipping and all this crazy stuff you do in Destiny. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to even run in place and do like a little bunny hop to do a <laughs> jump. I want to be able to sit on my couch and run around in a fake world using a controller. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that they will. I, I don't see it ever moving to the realm of you've got to now get this pen area that you have to stand sure. in in order. But for that's this that's to kind of operate. my point. Once yeah. it reaches a a level, a certain you know threshold of technological advancement to where it's convenient, or I don't have to think about to yeah. do it, that's when it will be popular. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's why I've never been able to like get, that's why I've never been able to be like interested in the VR stuff because I know it is such a pain in the ass just to set up that it's like that. I mean, that's just what we were talking about. I'm, I'm annoyed when I have to wait two minutes for my game to start. Yeah. You think I'm going to turn my machine on, move my furniture around my living room, calibrate, put a headset on, make sure the dog is in his cage, right? Make sure my kids aren't, you know what I mean? Like, so you give can me a break. jump up a platform. Right, exactly. And- so I can like have bad aim and worse graphics. Like it's just is, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, it did make me think like, is there, is there going to be like a surprise announcement with the X or are they literally just like, we did it. It's a powerful console. Yeah. Now let's keep trucking. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I would imagine, yeah, the future announcements for the X are just going to be more like premium kind of accessories. Like I, here's the new Elite controller. Here's a new Elite headset. Yeah. Well, at least when I was looking at the difference between the S and the X, there is something to like what you were saying. Like if you want to run something in 4K, Mm -hmm. um, even with the X, like it draws a lot of power in order to do that. And the S a lot of times is not capable of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that there is something about it being obsolete other than needing to modify the S like maybe it's not obsolete, but you're, you're going to need like a really good SSD or something, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I like, so again, that, that is another reason why I like the X cause it can actually do the things that some of the games are asking it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me to, you know, the games that I saw on the Xbox. And I feel like I, I go back and forth between um, like the big triple A. Now they're coining the quadruple A games. Seems at some point. It's like razors. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to (laughs) pull a different letter in. Yeah. Um, 
but like Anthem, have you heard about Anthem? Mm-hmm. Seems like that's like the next Destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, who makes Destiny? What? What's Bungie? the Bungie? So this is Bioware. Mm-hmm. And see, I'm such a bandwagon fan. Bioware is the Mass Effect guys. Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. That's right. So they screwed up their uh, right. <laughs> their property. Yeah. And now they're back trying to make a new one. Yeah. But that one looks really good. And that one looks like it needs every bit of Mm -hmm. power they can get to run. Because you're doing a lot Mm -hmm. in it. Um, But I'm super interested in that. Um, Cyberpunk 2077. Mm -hmm. I think, did I make you watch that trailer? I watched the trailer, but the trailer is just a... Uh, just a trailer. Yeah, it's just it's not any gameplay, so it didn't really do anything for me. I mean, it sounds really interesting, and the pedigree is great Yeah. with um, CD Projekt Red, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, again, too, I'm, like, I'm committed to being done until the next console cycle. So... 2020. Yeah. So this stuff is like, it's a curiosity more than anything. I think these are the games you're going to be playing, though. I, I, think Maybe. Si- I think Cyberpunk will launch with the next console. Yeah, could, I mean, yeah, very well could, could just be like, a, hey, we've ported this thing as a launch title because launches are generally kind of crappy. But Oh, well, yeah, because, I mean, you, you also think like <clears throat> a lot of these games are like ni- 2019 and how many mm, games get bumped, yeah. right? So it's like... Cyberpunk 2019. Oh, hey, we're going to bump to early 2020. Oh, you know what? We're mm-hmm. already here in 2020. We're going to bump it four more months and we're going to launch it, mm-hmm. you know, with this new console. So I, I think that, that that's, and, and I think I'm, I'm a little, again, being the bandwagon gamer I am, if I knew I was talking about, I'd be concerned for PlayStation because PlayStation has kind of led the way on first party games mm-hmm. and been like the gamers console. But this show, number one, it revealed that their first parties are now becoming like the stale franchises. Mm-hmm. Like they almost like pushed too fast, too early. And now all of their publishers are just making sequels to their previous games. Yeah. Last of us two. Um, Again, my bandwagonness is failing me, but oh, people are saying like they're excited for the next God of War sequel. Yeah, and even though that game is amazing, um, the um, Horizon game, Zero Dawn, Zero Dawn. Mm-hmm. You know they they want to do a sequel of that. Like mm-hmm. again, these are all great games, but it's like at some point you're just they're going to turn to Assassin's Creed or they're yeah, going to Yeah, but I to- mean the reason they can do that and the reason they can be shitty about Fortnite is because they've like way oversold everyone else in consoles. Yeah, but isn't And it- like no they're no one's going to catch up with them in this console life cycle. I think for the next one though, they they're, they're yeah, in trouble. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like so one of the biggest announcements is Microsoft bought five publishers. Mhm. They have them working on games that are all probably going to be on the launch, mm-hmm. right? They've already made the X, which has outpaced the PlayStation 4 Pro mm-hmm. in terms of power. And they're already now building for the next console, which means they got the S and the X in before PlayStation could do anything. Mm-hmm. And PlayStation 
just either needs to kill it with like the only thing PlayStation could do is to do what they did with the last console, which was like come out a hundred dollars cheaper than Xbox, yeah. right? To me, that's the only thing they can do because they've already been outpaced. Microsoft is already anticipating the next move and is going to have way more first party games that are not going to be sequels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it seems like, you know, if you've, long played the microsoft that that's going to be paying off yeah well that's the other thing that's interesting too uh because dan i've been texting with dan a little bit about going back if if he's going to start playing again and he's considering picking up a playstation but i've got so much money and time invested now in the Xbox uh, ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of my Xbox One games were bought digitally, every single one. So if I go to PlayStation, I'm losing all of that. Yeah. I mean, which I guess I would have lost anyways if I had um, physical copies and just traded them in or sold them or whatever, but I didn't. So like... You know, and like you said, with the backwards compatibility thing, I would imagine at some point, at least some of those are going to carry over and I may not go back to any of those games and play them again, but I would feel like an idiot for like abandoning them, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or like dumping all of that money into it and then just being like, I'm just going to buy another console and leave this giant collection of games behind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, there's like an aspect of that that's like kind of cool that is actually really cool that they're keeping that alive, that they're actually um, doing this thing that I wish Nintendo would do with like the virtual console where it's like when I, when the virtual console was on the Wii, I bought a ton of old games mm-hmm. and like I'll never be able to play those again. Yeah. Whereas if they just would keep bringing that along with their online system, I'd still be able to play those games on the switch Mm -hmm. and Microsoft is actually doing that. So it's like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could switch at this point just for like out of just for like a practical reason. Well, I, yeah, I'm trying to think about your experience in two years. Like let, let's say you hold out that long Mm -hmm. and you come back with the new console like there's Anthem, whatever game that turns out to be, but looks good. There's Red Dead Redemption 2 mm-hmm. that's waiting for you. There's like, I, I, I'd be, I want to know how you're going to deal with the backlog. If you're just going to be like <laughs> pressing ahead and, ne- and not looking back because you're going to have missed out on, yeah. you know, two years of kind of really great, you know, play dead. I'll just dump 5,000 hours into Destiny 3. <laughs> right. You just go back to your to the old uh, the, the, the well. Yeah. The old well. Uh, I have one last thing I want to run by you. Okay. I have decided. So, was it yesterday? Today's Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it was yesterday. It was either yesterday or Tuesday where it was insanely hot, hot. outside. 
Why did I think? I, listen, when you said I have one more thing to, to, to throw your way, I was like, you're shaving your head. <laughs> Are you shaving your head? No. Okay. I was like, that, that, I was like, should I say that? And I was like, I'll let him say his thing. And then you say that. I'm like, crap. Was I right? Okay. No. But it was ridiculously hot outside, uh-huh. right? It was the type of hot that if you are, if, if you are uh, whatever his name, Reverend Toller, uh-huh. you're like, this is the end of the world. Yeah. This is the end of the world hot. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know why any other person in the world right now is feeling this heat and not thinking we've done something <laughs> really wrong to where, the Where were you to be experiencing this heat? Uh, Wednesday, we went to Mount Trashmore. Okay. Uh, so yeah. And, um, it was like, it was either Wednesday or Monday. It was one day this week, but we're out, we're at Mount Trashmore. Either yesterday or three days ago. Yeah. And we're, yeah. (laughs) And we're like outside for 30 minutes and the girls are like dripping in sweat. And then it's like, okay, well now we've, so we can't stay for that long. Then I've got to put air in my tires and just like, you're doing all these like normal things, but it's so hot outside. They're just like, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, so I've decided for the rest of the summer because it's so hot that I'm wearing swimming trunks from now on <laughs> wherever I go. Out, outside of work where I have a dress code, I'm wearing, <laughs> like, and formal occasions, yeah. I will have swimming trunks on. I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> and I'm not taking them off because it's so hot. And I've gotten to the point where it's just like, I don't care anymore. Like, if I'm going to be wearing shorts, right, I'm going to be wearing shorts where I don't have to wear underwear. Do they have mesh? Yes. You're going to get a rash. And to where I can feel comfortable being in the heat. Oh, and that's the other thing, too. My wife's doing this fundraiser thing. Uh And so we've been going to this storage unit to, like, get, um, like, people are dropping stuff off. So I'm having, like, get stuff out of people's cars, walk it down and put it in a storage unit. And it's just, like, it's too hot outside to be doing any of this. In in jeans, at least, or in anything that's not swimming trunks, basically. So do you have like? Is that like? Do you think I'm? Cro- is that shaving my head, but for my legs? Um, I, you know, listen. If I'm, you saw someone wearing swimming uh, trunks at a restaurant, would you be like, "This person's out of line"? Yes. Really? Yes. I mean, obviously, like, if we're going to dinner, I'm not going to be wearing swimming trunks. But if I'm, like, getting lunch, if I'm going to the grocery store, if I'm running to the uh, pharmacy, if I'm just doing anything that's not like a... If I'm, if I'm going to... Listen, listen to me. If we go to another movie this summer, I'm showing up in swimming trunks. Listen, if you were a stranger, would I judge you? Maybe not. We live in Virginia Beach. Could be coming from the beach, going to the beach. I don't know your life. Knowing you and knowing that this is something that you're doing, I, I oppose it. Does that not appeal to you in any way? Just being like, I'm just going to be comfortable. No. So you're comfortable in the heat wearing what? What are you wearing? Listen, you're talking to somebody. You're wearing who, thick cotton shorts. I don't have AC in my car. You're, you're, you're talking. I haven't had a. So you for should years. be on my side here. And I still wouldn't go to swimming trunks. 
all the time. I would not do sim- swim Why? trunks. I mean, I mean, just can, can I just say basic, like inappropriate? They're, they're inappropriate. What's inappropriate about it? Because they're swim trunks. They're so what? called swim trunks. So I, you know, like listen. We're going to be sitting in a What if I told theater. you that these shorts, these are advertised as summer shorts? Okay, here's not the thing. swim trunks or board shorts, anything like that. They're summer shorts. We're sitting quote in a theater. And in the description that said, can also be used for swimming. We're sitting in a theater. You move. And I hear that nylon mm-hmm. rub up against each other. Yeah. I hear that swim trunk. You're going to be jealous. Rustle. No, I'm going to be like. Why is he freaking wearing swim trunks <laughs> in this theater? I can hear them moving around. Uh-huh. And if they have mesh, all I'm going to be thinking is the, about the mesh. I'm going to be thinking how often or how often you clean them, <laughs> which I, I already know the answer. You don't want to know the answer. Yeah, I don't want to know yet. the answer. I only ha- I'll tell you this. I only have one pair. Right, right. I may get another, it, depending on how that situation plays out. But I'll also say this: the description says all you have to do run them through some water. That's it. Yeah, exactly. The, the, so look, you're going, so look. They're a little sweaty. I've been wearing them a couple of days. I run inside real quick, throw them in the sink, spray them down, and then I'm back in business. If you don't have a rash by the end of the summer, I will drink the whiskey. Uh, okay. Pepto Bismol. All right. Drink. Deal. You have to wear these as much I'm as you're saying you're going to wear these. Every, as soon as I get home from work, you're the going first to- thing I'm doing is going in my bedroom, taking my work clothes off, and putting on my swim trunks. Your your legs are going to look like Ace's belly. <laughs> <laughs> you're, ju- you're just going to give yourself a rash. That's all you're going to accomplish. You're going to run through water and be like, oh, swim trunks dry on their own. Maybe maybe you don't know what modern swim trunks are like, but these are very comfortable. You're you're going to go on a run and you're going to be like, time to wash these. You're going to run through somebody's sprinklers. You're going to come back in. The worst part about these is the pockets are enormous. Like I put my hand. I can hear your rustling from over here. (laughs) The I can put my hand, and the pocket goes all the way up to like half of my forearm. I wish you would just shave your head. (laughs) If if this is just about feeling cool, shave your head. But that's not going to make as big of a difference as wearing comfortable. I would rather you wear airy shorts, shorts, ventilated shorts. Wear the short shorts. But I'm saying those. Like those those cotton shorts are still too thick. They're too heavy. It's not a nice breathable material. You're you're not a malnourished like. Uh, no, I'm overweight, and I need to be as comfortable as possible. Yeah, but you're complaining like, oh, these shorts are they're cotton. They're so heavy. I'm just saying. I'm saying they they are not. They are. You are hot. big enough to hold shorts up, cotton shorts up. You're, you're, you can handle that. I believe in you. <clears throat> the swim trunks are a bad idea. But why? Also, 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 I'm married. Uh-huh. I've got a job. Yeah. What do I have to worry? A bad idea for what? What's going to happen to me? Are you going to put me in jail for wearing comfortable swim shorts? <laughs> swim trunks. Because you only Summer have one, shorts? 
Because you only have one pair. Because they I'll work on a I'll mesh. i buy more pairs if they get stinky. I'll buy more pairs. On a mesh inner line. Because I know you're going to mistreat them thinking that you can just wash and dry them probably with them on. Because you're like, oh, swim trunks dry themselves. I don't need to set them out. I'll just have them dry in my body. I know you're going to do that. And you're going to be rustling everywhere you go. I'm going to be sitting next to you or whatever. And I'm going to be hearing the swim trunk uh, shuffle going on in.